Don't go anywhere. And next week, you need to be here. If I forget to say that later, I need you to be here next week. And tell all your buddies if you have any. Some of y'all probably... No, I'm just kidding. Now, y'all all got a bunch of friends, I'm sure. But listen, y'all got to be here next week. The Lord is doing some really cool stuff. All right, so... in. Uh, Let's move along. Last week we heard a powerful word on the message of what it looks like to ask the Lord to lead us by our faith. And today we're going to look at another aspect of faith in this message that I have titled, Lord, Increase My Faith. It's missing something up there. An exclamation point. <laughs> I'm going to get him later, don't worry. I, I got him now, okay, I'll let, that'll be the end of it. But listen, I want you to know, I got to tell you, there is an exclamation point and there's a reason why I want you to know that. Lord, increase my faith, exclamation point. That exclamation point is my friend, I want you to know about him, we're close buddies, we go way back, amen? That sounds crazy, don't it? Anyway... I'm really excited to share this word, so we're going to jump into the text found in Luke chapter 17, and we're going to read verses 1, yeah, y'all give him a hand, yes, hallelujah, see you call somebody out and they get, no I'm just kidding, Bobby is my hero, Bobby is my hero, oh I'm missing something, I'm I'm missing something y'all. I got to put this up here because y'all know I'm forgetful. Don't let me forget, y'all. All All right? Y'all going to let me forget? All right, don't do that. All right, moving along. Luke chapter 17. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses should come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in one day and seven times in a day turn again to thee saying, I repent, thou shalt Forgive him. Somebody ought to underline, thou shalt. And I want somebody in the house to say with me, thou shalt. Man, y'all doing good this morning. Verse 5 says, and the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root And be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, By and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow. I love that word. Trow. T-R-O-W. You know what that means? 
Suppose, I think, I suppose not. In my best English accent. So likewise, in verse 10, ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm coming to you right now. We just heard a lot of information. And we couldn't cover it in the next two hours that we'll be here, nor really in a thousand lifetimes to the innermost depths of its being. So, Father, I'm asking you right now to bring your anointing forth, Lord, that it would be so powerful in this room. Fill our hearts and minds with the spirit of your living word in this place. Lord, let not one of us remain unchanged or unmoved in our spirits this morning. We love you, we praise you, we lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in these first uh, ver- 10 verses here in uh, Luke 17, there are, uh, there's a lot going on. Amen. There's basically four different uh, sayings that's going on. But most scholars would try to convince us uh, that you were to separate each one of these four sections into four totally different and unrelated sections. But I don't quite see how or really why one would see it that way when there is such an obvious connection between these four statements. Verses 1 and 2 are talking about the reality of stumbling or falling, or in plainer words, messing up in our Christian walk. Let me ask this question. Has anyone here ever messed up in your Christian walk? I don't think I see any uh, perfect people except those maybe, you know, the perfection that comes from being covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. But perfect in action, I trow not. Amen. Hallelujah. Y'all know what that means now. Now we can use it. We're going to use it every week. In fact, Jesus uses a very strong presentation of this idea here by his use of the word impossible. Y'all know how I am. I love the language. I love looking in depth at the language presented to us in this Bible. And Jesus said, it is impossible, but that offenses may not come. No, offenses will come. If you look up the word offense, you will find one of its definitions is a cause of stumbling. So what Jesus is saying is that it's not a matter of if these periods of falling short will come, but rather it is a matter that of when they will come. Can I get a witness? But in that same sentence, Jesus gives a very clear and direct warning against a specific way by which if they do happen to come, You better not be the cause of it. And honestly, you better not even have a part to do with any of it. Now, you know how it was important for me just a moment ago uh, for y'all to see my exclamation point up there. And my brother Bobby hooked me up. Now, I want you to look at the end of verse one 
in Luke chapter 17. And what do you see at the end of this sentence? I don't know about in your Bible, but I can only say in my Bible there is an exclamation point. Now, I'm not sure of the accuracy of this information, but I personally did not have the time to go through the entire Bible and count every exclamation point that is in the Bible. So I went to Google and I said, hey, Google, how many exclamation points are in the Bible? Y'all want to know how many? I really don't know because I couldn't come up with a satisfactory answer. So here's what I'm going to need some of y'all retired folks to do is uh, instead of playing some crossword and word search puzzles this week, I need you. No, I'm just kidding. But for real, though, uh, regardless in the whole grand scheme of all of the hundreds of thousands of words in the Bible and all the thousands of sentences, there's not a whole lot of exclamation points in the Bible. Amen. Now, there are quite a few. But in the grand scheme of all of the information there, there's not a whole ton of exclamation points. So when I see one, it really stands out to me and causes me to pay special attention. Now, here is a side note, a little teaching and learning for you. All right. Now, I understand for some of y'all Bible scholars who are sitting there saying, well, in the original Greek and Hebrew... There was no such thing as an exclamation point, nor was there even a question mark. And I understand that. But if you're anything like me and you believe that God is smart enough and God is powerful enough to succeed in his promise to preserve his word for future generations, if you're anything like me, then you will also believe that this here English Bible translated into English from the original language is just as inspired as the originals were. Amen. Now, there will be some to convince you that that is just not the case. But the original manuscripts do not exist. Scholars will tell you this. The original manuscripts do, are no longer in existence because they were written, you know, on scrolls and, you know, parchment, whatever, that, you know, they made these things out of these skins and whatever. And over the uh, course and centuries of time, what happens to these documents? They deteriorate. So the original manuscripts no longer exist. And you will have some people who will try to... Uh, convince you that since they no longer exist, there is no such thing as an inspired copy of the Word of God left here on the earth. Which is in direct contradiction to what the Bible says to us over and over again, that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my Word, the Word of the Lord, will remain and endure forever. Hallelujah, I'm about to pass out up in this place. (laughs) Preaching like a true Baptist. So, but whether the Greek had an exclamation point at the end of this sentence or not, when a man goes around using a word like, woe, I heard that. The guy sounded like he knew what he was talking about. That was me, by the way. 
When a man goes around using a word like woe or the Greek or Aramaic equivalent, you better believe that that man is trying to make a serious point from what he's trying to say. Amen. Do you follow what I'm saying here? All right. Do you know what the word woe actually means? I looked it up. It means grievous distress, affliction, trouble, and y'all watch this, an exclamation of grief, lamentation. Y'all, the word exclamation is used in the definition of the word woe. It's synonyms. I looked up the synonyms and anonyms too. Y'all proud of me. Hallelujah. It's synonyms are anguish, tribulation, trial, wretchedness, melancholy, sorrow. But you know, out of all those synonyms and all those definitions in this word, woe, there's only one antonym. And I found this striking. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. A whole dissertation on the word woe. I didn't know what y'all was in for. There was one antonym. Y'all know what an antonym is. The opposite meaning. There was one. You know what it was? Joy. So literally the opposite meaning of the word woe is joy. I said, okay. So when Jesus said it is impossible, but that offenses will come, But woe unto him by whom they come, exclamation point. What he was saying, he was saying with some serious passion. How many of y'all know that Jesus ain't about wasting words? In the literal, there's two different ways of going about, well, yeah, really just two. Two ways of going about translating one lang- from one language into another. There is a dynamic way or dynamic equivalence. There is a formal way or a formal equivalent method of translating from one language into another. Some Bibles are translated in a formal equivalence way, which means word for word translation, a literal translation. So in other words, they take the original manuscript in their hand, and they begin to translate the words from that manuscript into the language they're trying to translate it into and make it say exactly what it said in the original, rather, no matter if it kind of was a little weird in how it said. That's why the King James, when you read it, sometimes you've got to double look at it because sometimes it's written in a way that you're like, Hold on, man, let me read that a couple more times. Because it doesn't always flow as smooth as we're used to speaking or reading in the English language. Which for me is a positive thing because it makes me look closer at the Word of God. It makes me say, okay, i got to take my time here and read this a little closer. There, the other method, the uh, dynamic equivalent or thought for thought style of translation, that, may, that is basically the translator's rendition of what he is saying the original document said. And there's other Bibles that use that method. 
And the reason they do that is because uh, it makes, to them, it makes the language flow a little smoother. All right? So when I see this and I see this word woe, that it may not be the exact word that Jesus said. It's not in Greek it's not, or Aramaic, which is what Jesus spoke. He spoke Aramaic. It's not in that language, but please rest assured, every time I'm in, sitting in a service or a sermon and the pastor says, in the original Greek, this word here was this, and this is what it means, I look up the definition of what my formal equivalent translation says, and I look up the definition in the English dictionary, and it says the exact same thing of what it meant in the Greek. I don't speak Greek. I don't speak Hebrew. I don't speak Aramaic. I speak English. And God promised to preserve His Word for me and for you and for every future generation from the time from whence He first penned the Scripture. Whoa. I didn't know it was going to go like that. Help me, Jesus. All right. In other words... Uh, what Jesus was saying here, but woe unto him by whom they come. These offenses, these stumblings. In other words, you can count on falling short, but you better not be the cause of leading or influencing somebody else to fall short with you. Y'all remember that old slogan that most of us have either lived our lives by in the past or possibly from time to time still live our lives by, misery loves company. We've all heard that statement, and I don't know about you, but when I'm feeling miserable, I need some company. And it's not necessarily that I want to drag people down with me, but sometimes, you know, that fleshly desire to, you know, make somebody understand you and where you're at and what you're going through and all this and that. You know, there's that thing with inside of you that just misery loves company. And oftentimes the result of that attitude or that inward, uh, you know, desire can be a stumbling block in the lives of others. Jesus warns very strongly against pulling people into a place of stumbling. You know, uh, a very uh, vivid example of that would be something that, especially for you young people in the room, peer pressure. You know, because somebody else is doing it. Look, when I first got, uh, when I first took the first drug I ever had, I didn't pay for it, y'all. Somebody else paid for it, and they were like, hey, man, you got to come check this thing out. It's going to make you feel good, this, that, and the other. And then they gave me that first one, but then after that, guess what? I had to pay for it. And you know what? I can remember some other first-time experiences in that life, in that world, in that place, where I'm like, nah, man, I don't want none of that. I done heard some stories about that. I don't want it. Man, come on. That's just stories. Look at me, man. I got, I got everything you can think of. Look at this place. You know, no harm, no foul. It's the cleanest way you can do it. Begging me. Begging me to get up in that thing. Where does that come from? Whoa. 
unto him by whom they come. Exclamation point. Especially, watch this, y'all, if you're in a leadership position. In fact, a large portion of Luke's gospel is spent exposing the corruption of the religious leadership at this time. If you'll read through this gospel, you will notice a very succinct uh, theme on this topic. In fact, nearly a third of chapter 9 is Jesus rebuking the religious leaders from nearly every sect and position. Y'all, if you never read that, you got to go back and read it. Guess what word Jesus used six times in Luke chapter 9 and only 17 verses? Woe. That's interesting. Woe unto you Pharisees. Woe unto you scribes. Woe unto you lawyers. You desire to clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is full of filth and wickedness. You tithe and give to the synagogue, but you neglect true social justice. And you have no clue of the true nature of the love of God. And he goes on and on, exclamation point. He's, he used a lot of exclamation points in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 9 too, y'all, in them 17 verses. All right. Exclamation point after exclamation point. There's one verse in uh, Luke 9, 52 that I want you to pay special attention to. Luke 9, 52. Where Jesus says, Woe unto you lawyers, Exclamation point. For ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves. And them that were entering in, ye hindered. What is he saying? These lawyers that you read about in the Bible, that wasn't the Ken Nugent's, uh, the... uh, Gary Martin Hayes. I don't know if I'm the only one that's ever noticed this, but man, I can't go down the interstate in South Georgia or Alabama or North Carolina without seeing this dude named Alex something rather another. Sushanaharana, I don't know. It's some last name. Buddy drives a truck. He's on the road. He knows what I'm talking about. This dude has to spend millions in advertising every year, y'all. He's got Bill... In one place on the interstate, he's got 10 billboards, I bet you, in a row. I mean, I'm like, that's not the time. And if you get hit by Bobby's truck, you call that guy. Because he's going to get you, he swears, a million dollars. You know what I'm talking about. But listen, the lawyers that Jesus was talking to and saying, woe unto you lawyers, that wasn't that kind of lawyer. That was literally... Uh, These lawyers were literally the keepers and teachers of the law of Moses. They were pretty much the same thing as a scribe. Those who kept the letter of the law, who were in charge of keeping up with the documents of the law of Moses, the scriptures, the different uh, copies of them. 
There were one, there were probably lawyers and scribes and Pharisees in every town who were, that was their job to keep the law, to keep up with these documents. So what Jesus was saying here in verse 52, when he said, ye have taken away the key of knowledge, that's some very strong work. That's some strong imagery right there, y'all. Woe to you lawyers. You have taken away the key of knowledge. What Jesus was saying was that you know the letters of the law. You know what it says in black and white. You know that thou shalt not commit murder. You know thou shalt not commit adultery. You clean and wash the outside of your cup and your hands, and you do all of these things, and you could recite it front to back. You can see when your neighbor's not doing it and upholding the law. You can do all that stuff, but in all that, you have taken away the key of knowledge. You have knowledge, but you don't have the key to unlocking what that knowledge really means. You're missing this key to unlocking the mystery of it all. And guess what, church? The door is locked. The door is locked. And if you don't have the key, you're not getting in. But here is what is really where it really gets interesting in this scripture. Not on at the end, the next part of this verse, after you have taken away the key of knowledge, not only have you yourself not entered into the door. Remember what Jesus said, I am the door. If you try to come in any other way, you're as a thief and a robber. And what happens when a robber tries to enter in through your window in Gwinnett County? Most people have something waiting on the other side of the window for thieves and robbers. Because if you're not coming to the front door, you are are not welcome. Something is amiss. Something is off. Something is wrong. We know that instinctively. So not only have you yourself not entered into the door, you keepers of the law, it seems as if you should have by now, but not only have you yourself not entered in, you are hindering those who truly desire to enter. That's what the Scripture says in 9.52. Woe unto you lawyers. Woe unto you who cause others to stumble. You teach all the letters of the law, but you took away the key. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Now, please don't get confused by this uh, terminology here, all you little ones. Well, we first, because Jesus uses that term in another place, don't prevent the children, the little ones, to, from coming to me. But please understand, in this context, in our Father's eyes, we are all little ones. We are all God's children, those who have answered the call by His name. Church, He is, He is, let me put that emphasis in a different place. He is the key. Jesus is 
the key to the door that we must enter in where our Heavenly Father awaits. You all know what a millstone is. It's this giant, heavy stone that's used to grind grain and whatever else they use to make into flour or meal or whatever. It wasn't a little thing. It wasn't a light thing. It was something heavy that could crush those grains, those stalks into dust, into meal, into basically a powder. He said it would be better for this person to have this giant boulder strapped around his neck. This statement is borderline absurd, y'all. Think about it. If the King of Kings, if Lord God Almighty desired to take you out, He really wouldn't need a millstone tied around your neck and fl- you know, fling you into the sea to do it. What He was doing was making this outlandish statement in order to paint a picture with His words. The statement The statement itself was the exclamation point. Do you follow what I'm saying? This statement, this outlandish metaphor, this borderline absurd statement, you know, tie a millstone around his neck and throw him into the ocean, it wasn't a literal thing. It was to make this vivid image Come to life. It was his exclamation point. Jesus goes on to teach his disciples in verses 4 and 5. Take heed to yourselves. That says something to me. That comes at the first part of the verse. And if we're not careful, we could read you know, right over that, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. But please understand, every word, every jot, every tittle, every punctuation mark, every part of the Word of God is important. So when he says, take heed to yourselves, uh, Brother Brett and I, we took the, some youth from here to a friend of mine's church up the street last night. The pastor had a little uh, message that he gave talking about the heart. And he talked about five things that you need to do to protect the heart because the enemy is after the heart. He he came from the text of uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart first, soul, strength, mind, and all that next. But the first was the heart. What he said was that the enemy is after your heart. And he says, so you need to guard your heart and uh, you need to you know, protect your heart. You need to do all these other things. But one of the things that he said was, you need to scan your heart. And he gave the illustration of that on your computer or on your phone, when you download a new program or even every day you have this antivirus on your platform that scans your system to check to see if there's any what? Viruses. Anything that's in, that did not come in through the door, if you will. 
If it didn't come in through the door, it ain't supposed to be there. It's an intruder. It's a thief. It's a robber. And we need this protection that's above our own understanding. I don't know how an antivirus works. I don't know how a computer virus works. It's, I don't know how to hack. I don't know how to do that. But I know people, some people do. But it's above my pay grade. It's above my understanding. So I need something with a higher understanding to look with inside of me to help me when I identify that something is wrong, something is out of place. Because when you have a virus on your phone or you have a virus on your computer, guess what? There is a, 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 a something is happening that's slowing it down. And you're like, man, what's wrong with my computer? What's wrong with my cell phone? It's not running the way that it used to. It's all slow. I try to click on this. It don't work. We recognize something is wrong. And when we recognize that, the antivirus, that thing that's a higher than ourselves, our own understanding, helps you to, uh, to get rid of it. You follow what I'm saying? So take heed to yourselves. Scan yourself. Look at yourself. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. That word rebuke, it can be strong, but it doesn't have to be. It could be, it could literally just mean confront the situation. If a brother or a sister comes at you in a way that you feel disrespected, don't just hold on to it, confront it. We are very uncomfortable in our society, in Western culture, to confront uh, disagreements, to confront uh, trespasses and wrongdoings. We don't want to stir the pot. We don't want to, you know, feel uncomfortable. Because it can be uncomfortable to tell someone, look, what you said the other day was out of line, homie. Bruh, what's wrong with you? It can be uncomfortable, but it's necessary for a healthy inner person. You got to get rid because, and we're going to talk about this more late, like next next week. That's why y'all got to be here, y'all. Because what he says after all these verses, man, it gets deep. I wish we could make it tonight, but whatever. So look. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. Verse 4, and if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Speaking directly to Jesus' disciples, to his disciples, Jesus paints another outlandish metaphorical picture. He takes it beyond just the typical trespass or disagreement or disgruntledness between individuals, which very rarely is seven in one day. Would you agree with that? That is another outlandish, like that's another piece of vivid imagery Jesus uses to paint a picture to grasp our attention to show us some of the depths of the truth of what it means to have character from Almighty God. If a brother chumps you off seven times in a day but comes and asks you to forgive him seven times, thou shalt forgive. 
That's crazy though, right? When you think about it. Like, man, after one time, I'm not so sure. Twice, I'm getting closer to being very unsure. Three times, it's done. You know what I'm saying? In the natural, I'm not going to keep forgiving you over and over again in my natural. It's not going to happen in my natural. Shouldn't there be a limit to what we have to endure even as Christians? I don't have to put up with this mess from these crazy Baptists. Think they know everything. Think I don't know nothing. You see, we all know that in this life there will be plenty of people who will disrespect us. Am I right or wrong? We already know that. Don't be shocked and surprised when it happens. You know why we get shocked and surprised? Because we're prideful. We're like, how dare you disrespect me? Do you know who I am, homie, bruh? You don't know me like that. I will get you. That's where it comes from. It's pride. That's why we're like, I can't believe it. How many of you have ever let a conversation where somebody said some crazy junk to you and you went to your best friend or your husband or your wife and you said, I can't believe that dude just said that to me. How many of you ever said that? You follow what I'm saying? That's pride because we think everybody should treat us the way that we desire to be treated. But we already know that's not reality. It's not going to happen. There will be plenty of people who will disrespect us, treat us like garbage, and make us want to even choke the life out of them. Am I right or wrong? Yes. Starts with your children. But that's another picture right there. If your child trespasses against you, and then 20 times, they really might do it seven times in it. They, in fact, 70. And G, that's why Jesus in another scripture said 70 times seven. That's how many you got to forgive them. It starts with your children. But if your child comes to you and says, I'm so sorry, mom or dad. You know, I know I shouldn't have. What are you, you're going to be like, no, get out of my face. I hate you. No. You're going to forgive your child. Just as Jesus will forgive you as, his, as the father's children of your trespasses, no matter how many you've committed against him, when you come to him and you ask him for forgiveness, guess what? He's already paid for it. The price has already been paid. Getting deep. But as a follower of Christ, we are required to forgive others. Honestly, this number seven is not an actual limit. Please understand. Even if they trespass and repent 100 times in a day, as a follower of Christ, we must still forgive them. It goes back to, as I was praying uh, during the tithing, I never thought about that verse the way that I just thought about it. When you give to the Lord out of a cheerful and a grateful heart and attitude no strings attached but because of who he is 
no matter how much you give, if you give it to the best of your ability, not withholding, you will receive such a blessing there will not be room enough to receive it. But when we give begrudgingly, it's like, man, I really don't want to do this. And so we're like, man, I'm just going to give like a dollar. And I'm going to go to Starbucks and get a $7 cup. It's not about that specifically. You follow what I'm saying? But you know that struggle. Don't tell me you don't. We all know it. There's something. We're like, yes to the coffee. Yeah, maybe to the giving. In the same way. I know that because that's how I am. So the same is true. When we hold on to that, those things we think we need, and, and we might give definitely not to the best of our ability, just like because yeah, they got to see me put something in there. Which we don't. You know what I'm saying? That's between you and God. Let God be your judge. It's not a, this is not a uh, chastisement. Speaking something to you. When we hold on to that thing we think we need, then guess what? Literally, there's not enough room to receive it. Because it's his blessings, to receive his blessings. That he wants to pour in us to the degree to where it's running over. When we open ourselves up to receive it. But when we close ourselves off to it, we're just getting that little, you know, that, the scraps, if you will. And there's, because there's not enough room in my heart to receive what he desperately desires to give to me. That's good right there, y'all. Somebody should have wrote that down. As hard as as it is uh, for y'all to probably believe this, um, because we just spent 45 minutes talking about it, (laughs) this sermon is not really about specifically being a stumbling block or an offense or dragging other people into our mess. It's not just a sermon about uh, forgiveness. Now, we learned some stuff about that. We talk about that some, a lot, honestly. But here is the point summed up in verse 5 of what I believe the Bible is teaching us in this portion of Scripture. Verse 5 says, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Now, out of all the studying that I've done on this subject, and and I agree with this to a great degree, the general consensus from most scholars is that the disciples said this request to Jesus because Jesus' requirements for modeling good behavior and forgiveness were too extreme for them. But there's another thing to possibly consider in this message. Is it not feasible that after hearing Jesus' teachings on these matters, 
along with the fact that His disciples knew how far they fell short in respect to the commandments and ordinances and characteristics of being a child of the Most High God. They knew in their heart how far they fell short of the mark. That they truly wanted to strive to this level of spiritual revelation. Lord, increase our faith. Help us to attain to this level of maturity that you require because I know how far I fall short from the mark. They heard how serious Jesus was about not leading others astray. Exclamation point. Woe unto you. Think about what He was saying here. They understood the seriousness, the gravity of His words, and they knew they were guilty of leading others astray many times and at many points in their life. They knew how serious Jesus was about extending forgiveness to their brothers, to their sisters. And they surely knew they weren't even close to that level of spiritual maturity. They're like, Lord, that's too hard for us. There's no way I could ever attain that level. Please increase our faith. Lord, increase Think about this. Jesus' whole motivation for spending all this time that He spent with these people day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, why did He spend this time with them? Why was He doing all this teaching and modeling and, and giving example? Because He was trying to equip His people his disciples, his followers, to be able to walk in the calling that was placed over their life as a child of God. And church, like it or not, God has a standard for his people. Like it or not. I'm just preaching the truth. And we cannot even begin to walk in this calling in a manner that is pleasing to God without putting our faith in Him more and more. I need Him more in my life today than I've ever needed Him. Because I'm not strung out on dope no more. I'm not homeless no more. I'm not lost and undone no more. I'm content and I can get in a place of being far too content if I'm not careful. So Lord, help me because I don't feel every day that I need You as much as I used to in my times of desperation. But truthfully, church, I need Him more because of that. I need Him more. If you want to walk in that calling that God has placed in your life, make this your prayer. Lord, Increase my faith. 
this Christian walk is just too hard for me in my own strength. I've been trying it, Lord, but I keep falling. And I'm running dry in my spiritual tank. And I need to be refilled. So, Lord, please increase my faith. In order to live a life pleasing to God, in order to walk in the calling that God has called us to, we have to constantly seek to increase our faith. Let me put something plain and simple to you. You're never standing still. You be, and the reason why is because every day, moment by moment, you're making choices. And when you make a choice, it's going to lead you in either one direction or another. That's what choices do because every action has an opposite and an equal reaction. Every action that you take, there is a consequence, there is a repercussion either positive or negative I'm either choosing in this moment to embrace the fullness of what God has for me and it's leading me in a place closer to Him in a forward direction with momentum or I'm making choices that are leading me farther away from His presence but I'm still making choices That's why we have to constantly, day by day, if we want God's best for our life, if we even want the capability of walking in the call that He has for our lives, and I know you do. I said this morning in the breakfast club, and you've heard me say it a thousand times, there's not one person here that has never said to themselves and probably still say it regularly, I know I'm destined for more than I'm currently living. That's the call of God on your life. That is the Holy Spirit saying, make that choice today to honor me, to draw closer to me. Because you've been choosing so many things that are bringing this vast separation from you and my spirit from my presence. I want you to come back to me. No matter how far you've gone, God is not in some place in a distant galaxy far away. He's not the one far. We are the one to stray far away. And as soon as we say, all right, Lord, I'm ready. He's already there. He's right there. You don't have to take just because you took 30 steps back you don't have to take 30 steps forward to get back to where he is. He's already there. Think about that. Next week we're going to take a closer look at the following verses about the faith as a grain of mustard seed possibilities that are available to the Christian, to the child of God when they say Lord increase my faith let's pray Father, coming to you right now holy smokes your presence is strong right now 
so strong. We need you, Lord. I'd give an invitation, but I believe everybody would need to respond. <coughs> Whether they did or not, they would know. So right now, Father, rather than the formality, make this prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray right now as you're piercing the innermost parts of our hearts, of our beings, that, Lord, you would do in us what we cannot and will not ever be able to do in our own strength. Increase our faith, Father. This Christian walk is just too hard for me in my own strength. But you're not asking me to do it in my own strength. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is available to me and to all of the people that have placed their faith in you and call you Lord. It's the same power. It's your strength, Heavenly Father. Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> i got to say something to you real quick. Go ahead and keep that. Sunday, 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 we are going to kick off our first annual Light of the World Revival at Lucerne Baptist Church. I asked, you know there was some discrepancy about the dates there for a while. <coughs> Won't get back into that. So Bobby said, look, dude, I need some information. What you got for? I got to make these slides. I said, look, just tell them revival is coming to Lucerne Baptist Church. This brother goes, well, I said, just just make a statement that we're going to have a revival sometime soon. This brother comes up with this statement and puts it on a slide that I saw the following. One of our evening song fests where our lovely core groups of musicians and singers and all these people have worked very hard over the past while to come up with enough music not only to start it off with a song fest on Sunday evening but Monday through Wednesday fulfill the needs of those services too I might even do a song myself just have to come and see Monday we're going to be talking about my friend is coming from Florida to drop a word on y'all that I've seen a glimpse of that pierced me in just a few short sentences. He's going to be preaching on revival starting in the house of the Lord. And then uh, Tuesday, Pastor Tim from Teen Challenge is going to come and he's going to speak on having God's vision for your life. Then on Wednesday, we're going to eat, praise God, and then we're going to come up here and I'm going to speak to you on outreach and the Great Commission. And we'll see what happens from there. Monday through Wednesday, 7 p.m., Sunday evening, 6 p.m. Y'all look here. I, I called Brother Bobby. I don't need him sitting around feeling sorry for himself with a broke leg. 
all bored and junk. So I called him up and I said, Bobby, I've had this idea for a couple of months now about creating a simple business card as an invitation that we as church members can take every week, five or six or ten or whatever, and put in our pocket and bring them with us wherever it is that we want to go. And when we see somebody over at MJ's, or we see somebody over at Racetrack, or we see somebody over at Walmart, or we see somebody over at Hobby Lobby where they're closing the doors and have a big clearance sale, everything's over. 50, that's just whatever. But listen, when you see the, look, I have encountered some unlikely candidates already. And they're like, I don't want that. And I'm like, you're going to take it, homie. And you're going to come. I don't take no for it. And they're like, all right. You know, and I gave it to them anyway. Alright? And that's what we're going to do. And so, upon exiting this building today, each of you are going to get at least five of them this week. Really, you need ten of them. Huh? I got five. Yeah, I guess we're going to just uh, kind of dismiss with a word of prayer. You know, song? Okay, we'll close in a song and then we'll... Uh,